This is the weekly message from Hope Church Malmesbury. We're so glad you can join us. This week's sermon is part of our series, The Promise and the Purpose. We're walking slowly through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, promise by promise. Find out more about Hope Church and how to support our ministry at www.thehope.church. I hope this message will help you to see the good purpose that God has for your life and help you to walk in faith and rely on his promises every day. Here's the message. Well, welcome church family and visitors. This is your first visit. You're very welcome, whether you're here in the room today in the chilly wind with all our COVID ventilation active. (laughs) I've got my woolly jumper on. Um, If you're watching us online, you're very welcome. My name is Mark. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Hope Church. Now, if you're new or relatively, relatively new, we're running our next Visions and Values course Um, starting Wednesday the 13th of October in the evening. Now, Visions and Values is for people who are new to Hope Church. It's a short course led by me and my wife Lydia. And we're going to take you through, would you believe, the vision that God gave us for Hope Church (laughs) and the values that we have that make Hope Church, Hope Church, and and not the church down the road. Uh, Visions and Values is also a, a gateway So if you're considering becoming a member of our fellowship or if you want to start coming along to a midweek home group, then we ask you to first attend Visions and Values so we can check you out. I mean, so that you can get to know us and we can get to know you. Uh, It's it's free, obviously. Uh, It normally lasts three or four uh, evenings, depending on who's there in the room and how, how chatty you are. So if you'd like to know more, if you'd like to book a place or just find out a bit more, speak to me or Lydia after the service. Now, also in the news, our ladies who lead uh, will be returning after their well-earned summer break. So ladies who lead is our online live Bible study that takes place at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday morning on YouTube and Facebook. So you can watch it live. You can catch up with the recording on demand. Just search Hope Church Malmesbury on Facebook or YouTube. Now one last aside before I get into today's message. I just want to share with you something that's really blessed me uh, this week. Now I'm a huge fan, it must be to do with my age, but I'm a huge fan of Michael W. Smith and Amy Grant and that kind of, that that season of uh, Christian worship music. And in particular, the last couple of years, Michael W. Smith has had a, a fantastic range of live worship albums. Uh, called Worship, or variations around that thing. And he recorded a new one in 2021 called Worship Forever. And if you search Worship Forever on YouTube, you can actually watch for free a whole uh, hour and a half concert of him um, with all kinds of guests, uh, Matt Redman and Amy Grant and people like that. And it's just felt so anointed. I I had it playing while I was uh, writing the sermon. So... If you have Apple Music or Spotify or something like that, it's called Worship Forever by Michael W. Smith. Okay, enough, enough of the plugging. Now, I have a couple of uh, questions just to get us started. I need someone who can uh, help. I just wonder if I'm... See, if I pick on Evan, is he going to run out of the room or might he, he be willing to help me? You don't need to move, Ev. Okay, but I've got a question for you, okay? What is a kettle? What's a kettle? 
What, what did he say, Frank? I don't know. <laughs> who, can, who can tell me what a kettle is? <laughs> You're not up with the times. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a packet crisps, yeah. What else it might be? What, what else is a kettle? For boiling water, excellent. Okay, yes, okay. Um, so question number two, what about an extractor fan? What's an extractor fan? Removing it, no, no. Anyone else know what an extractor fan is? Could he, do you know what's an extractor fan? It draws air out of one place and throws it outside. No, no, no. Uh, Gareth? Somebody who used to like tractors. Yes, someone who used to like tractors. Well done, well done. Excellent. So have, have you ever noticed, as you're reading your Bible, reading the Gospels, learning all about our Lord, do you ever work out why Jesus never wore any jewellery? Because he breaks every chain. <laughs> so there will be a time of ministry and prayer after the service of people affected by issues that we raise. Now, if you've been here over the last couple of weeks, you may have heard some comments from the people who are preaching about how many verses of Scripture they got given to work with any given sermon. Uh, Sue was bemoaning the fact that she had to do a whole sermon based on two verses, and Dave, last week, he had three verses to work from. But Dave even went so far as to suggest that the number of verses that you were given was somehow an indication of the esteem that the pastor held you in. Now, let me put an end to this debate right now. It's nothing to do with favoritism. It's nothing to do with how popular you are. Um, you know, the, the apportionment of the, of the verses is something that that God controls in the way that the Bible has been divided up. And, it, and he, he made it very clear to me that it, it's to do with the, the anointing and the talent that is put into the preacher. So the more anointed and talented that you are, the fewer verses you need to, to make a scripture. So after I received this revelation from the Lord, after Sue preached for two verses and Dave preached for three verses, I did inquire why God thought I needed ten verses for this week's sermon. So we're walking very slowly through the Gospel of Luke. Okay? This is sermon number 44 as we're going through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, promise by promise. Okay, so we're in Luke chapter 7. Starting at verse 1. After he'd finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. So Jesus has just preached the Sermon on the Plain. Started with the Beatitudes, then going through and kind of laying out all these principles of God's kingdom. Now, a centurion, he had a servant who was sick at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. And when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation. He is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus, he went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent some more friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself. I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am, am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. 
and to another come and he comes and to my servant do this and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turning to the crowd that followed him and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. So today's message is all about faith and authority. But mostly it's about authority. Because what I learned this week, as I've been studying this topic, is that often when we fail to see the breakthrough and the success that we're looking for in our life, it's not a lack of faith that's the problem, but it's a lack of authority that's blocking our breakthrough. So today I just want to share with you two important key principles for walking in authority as a disciple of Jesus. And I'll start by reminding us that Jesus was much less the gentle Jesus, meek and mild, that we might have learned about in Sunday school. Jesus, he walked and he talked and he spoke and he taught with authority. As we read in Luke's Gospel a few weeks ago, reading that, recording that time when Jesus, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath and he taught and he commanded a, a, an unclean spirit to come out of a man. In Luke 4 verse 31 it recalls it says he went down to Capernaum to the city of Galilee and he was teaching them on the Sabbath and they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority and then in verse 36 and they were all amazed and they said to one another what is this word for with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out Jesus, he was someone who walked in authority. He spoke with authority. He prayed with authority and signs and wonders followed him around. And Jesus was very clear where his authority came from. It came from his Father God in heaven. In John 14 he says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father? And the Father is in me. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. So this is the first principle I want to share with you today. And it's important. So open up your ears. It goes like this. When it comes to authority, you must be under it in order to have it. You must be under it in order to to have it. The Roman centurion, okay, centurion is a rank, it's a military rank. It means someone who is in charge of a hundred soldiers. So relatively senior as it goes. This was not a lowly common man in the ranks, okay? In fact, Steve, what, what, what's kind of the equivalent in the British military of a centurion? Someone who would be in charge of a of hundred soldiers. Right, okay. So, you know, not a junior member of the military. In today's world, might be a flight, lift, flight lieutenant RAF, a captain in the military, maybe even someone as high up as a, as a corporal. So let's just read again how this Roman military man described himself. He says, For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does. He describes himself 
not as a man with authority. He says, I'm a man set under authority. I am under authority. And he knew the truth, as all military people do. The only way to have authority is to be under a higher authority. Because authority always cascades down. And if you start to rebel against that authority that's over you, you soon see your authority dry up. Okay? Uh, a lieutenant who stopped obeying his orders in the army would very soon lose the right to issue orders, right? <laughs> he would find himself in the brig, stripped of all his rank. I remember a conversation I had with uh, my spiritual mentor, Pastor Brad. He, he, he holds a doctorate in Christian counselling. I remember something that he said to me that, that really struck. He said, whenever I'm counselling a Christian, a believer, and their life is falling apart, tell me that the spirit isn't flowing, that their prayers feel like they're bouncing off the ceiling, that they can't hear God or that they feel lost. In other words, they've lost all their authority in prayer and their authority in the spiritual realm. He said, when people talk like that, he said, I always ask them, what are you rebelling against? Where are you being disobedient in your life? Because you see, rebellion is a rejection of the authority that's been placed over you. And Pastor Brad said, he said, I always find it. I always find rebellion when I'm counselling Christians who have lost their power and authority. You see, to walk in authority, you must first be under authority yourself. If you want to pray with authority, you must first be under authority yourself. If you want to be able to teach with authority, to speak with authority, to lead with authority, you must first be under authority yourself. And what was it Dave was just saying last week about people who say, you can't tell me what to do. Being told what to do is the very definition of being under authority. So if you want to see breakthrough in your prayer life, whether you're praying for your business or your relationships, if you want to be able to silence the voice of the enemy, you need to check your heart and let the Holy Spirit bring to your attention those people or those situations where you are not accepting God-given authority in your life. Because you cannot exercise your God-given authority until you accept the God-given authority that God has placed over you. Going back to today's scripture, verse 9. Jesus, when he heard these things, he marveled at him, at the centurion. And he turned to the crowd who was following him and he said, I tell you, not even in all of Israel have I found such faith. And when those who were with him returned, they went back to the house and they found the servant well. Jesus, he commended the centurion's faith. But let me ask you this. What was it the centurion had faith in? What did the centurion express his faith in? At any point in today's scripture, did anyone talk about Jesus' ability to heal? No. Usually when we talk about faith in Jesus, we're talking about faith that he has the ability or the 
power, yeah? Or or is, is he willing to do something? But that's not what this story is about. That's not why Luke included it in his scripture. The Roman is commended for his faith in Jesus's authority to do something. You can have the ability to do something, but not have the authority to do it. I've got the ability to drive 100 miles an hour down the motorway, but I haven't got the authority to do it. I have the ability to to go and hack someone's website to find any bugs and errors and weaknesses and report it to them. But unless I've been given permission, unless I have authority to do so beforehand, I'll find myself in jail. Jesus isn't marvelling at the fact that the Roman acknowledged his ability to heal I mean, hundreds of people have been doing that all the way through the gospel so far. Jesus has gone and healed the multitudes. Jesus is marveling that the centurion acknowledges Jesus' authority to act, his authority to heal, his authority because he was the Messiah, the Son of God. Not even in Israel, said Jesus, I have, have I found such faith in my authority. In other words, have I found someone who sees me for who I am? God's son. In fact, this, this chapter of Luke, chapter 7, is all about the authority of Jesus. Now, when Luke compiled his gospel, he put these stories together. And a few minor spoilers for the weeks to come. This first story, okay, is all about Jesus' authority as the Messiah, as the Son of God, and him using that authority to heal. Next week, it's about Jesus' authority to raise someone from the dead. The following week, it's also about Jesus' authority as the Messiah. And the fourth week is about Jesus' authority to forgive sins. Now, Luke is writing this persuasive document to demonstrate and explain to people who Jesus is. So the first point I want us to remember, you must be under authority in order to have authority. And the second thing that can happen to your authority, that can leave you weak, that can leave you impotent as a Christian, is when you take this authority that God has given you and you give it away. You give it away. So this is the second principle of walking in authority. If you have it, don't give it away. If you have it, don't give it away. A few weeks ago, back in chapter 4, Luke, he drops this hint. He kind of opens a loop, as they say when you're writing a, a novel. And he starts to close it here he, he, by drawing this link between Jesus and the prophet Elisha. In chapter 4, Jesus said, there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, but none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Well, if you know the story of Naaman the Syrian, he was a Gentile, a non-Jewish army officer from a foreign land who sends a messenger who is a slave girl to speak to the prophet Elisha to ask for healing from God. The prophet never meets Naaman but Naaman gets healed anyway and this is one of those stories that points to this blessing of a time to come when Yahweh is going to show his interest and his love 
outside of the borders of Israel. You can read it in 2 Kings chapter 5 when you get home if you want to read some more. But there's all these parallels between this particular story about Elisha and today's story. Did you notice them? What happens in both stories? A Gentile army officer sends a Jewish messenger to the man of God asking for a healing and the healing happens without the man of God ever even meeting the person who gets healed. Neat, right? So the people that Luke was writing to who knew the Old Testament will make this link, they'll see this parallel between Jesus and the prophet Elisha. And looking forward, Luke's going to use this same literary trick in his second volume, in the book of Acts, when Peter goes to the house of a centurion. But more of that sometime next year when we get to it. But actually, it's Elijah, not Elisha, that I want to turn to next to explore how we can end up giving away the authority that God has given us. And this happens when we come up against the spirit of intimidation. Intimidation. Elijah was a prophet, and you can read about him in 1 Kings in the Old Testament. And he did some pretty bold things. He stood in front of the king and declared that there was going to be a drought that would bring ruin to the kingdom. And later, when the king said to Elijah, oh, you're the troubler of Israel... Elijah says, nah, uh, uh, it's not me, it's all your fault. Not the usual way people spoke to kings in those days when life was short and cheap. Elijah goes on and he challenges 850 of the prophets of the false gods to meet him on a mountaintop to see who is the true God by calling down fire from heaven. And it's only Elijah's prayers that are answered. And the fire falls and it burns up all the sacrifices. So Elijah commands these 850 false prophets to be killed and they are. Then Elijah prays that it would rain and the drought ends and it does. The rain comes down in torrents. A pretty good day, pretty good day for the man of God. He's walking in power and authority. And his prophetic prayers are being answered in the most public and miraculous way. And then... And then, Jezebel. Queen Jezebel, she's so enraged that her pet army of 850 prophets has been killed that she says that she's going to kill Elijah. So what does this powerful, spirit-filled man of God do? He picks up the hem of his robe and he runs for his life. He goes and hides in the desert. He sits down and collapses under a tree, cries out and says, God, I can't take it anymore. Kill me. In one day, he went from miracles on the mountain to hiding in the so discouraged that he wanted to die. Jezebel, she wanted to stop the man of God from fulfilling his mission and calling. And she does it through intimidation. Because when we allow ourselves to get intimidated, we give away our authority. Jezebel wanted to stop Elijah. And he just helped her plan come to pass 
Because by running away, the prophet becomes silent and irrelevant. Just what Jezebel wanted. He gave away his authority. She didn't take it from him. She didn't put him in jail. She didn't put him in prison. She didn't cast him out of the kingdom. He did it all to himself. All because he allowed himself to be intimidated. The book of Romans tells us that the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. They can't be stolen from us, but we can become intimidated into leaving them idle. I think people give way too much credit to the devil, saying that, oh, the devil stole this from me, or the devil stole that from me. I think most of the time the devil didn't. The devil can't. He's a liar. He's a lion. He's a lion that roars and tries to intimidate us into backing down and shutting up. The truth is, the devil can't steal your gifting. The devil can't steal your authority. But he wins when he persuades us to give them up of our own accord. Do you remember when we looked at the armour of God last year? We noticed that the point of the armour of God is to allow us to stand. Not to fight, to stand. To not give up, to not give in. The main way that the devil succeeds against the body of Christ, the main way that the devil leaves Christians defeated, the main way that the devil steals our victory is simply by convincing us to give up to go home and do nothing intimidation is one of the key techniques used by the devil to render the children of God ineffective because it results in us giving away our God given authority to act in those situations 2 Timothy 1 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. God did not give us a spirit of fear. But fear and timidity is a spirit, but it's not a spirit that comes from God. Which means the way to deal with intimidation when it comes against you, the way to deal with fear when it comes against you, is not about having a positive mental attitude it's about prayer because it's through prayer that you defeat spiritual opposition intimidation is not an attitude or a disposition it is a spirit and it's a spirit of fear Proverbs 29 says the fear of man lays a snare but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe after all that Elijah had done and seen God do through him, why on earth would he think that one woman called Jezebel would be of any threat to him at all? Especially, he had just killed off her entire army of lackeys. Right? He should have said to her, yeah, you and whose army? Because your army is now all dead. Instead, he runs away. The fear of a man or a woman is a snare that will tie us up mentally and emotionally. We make rash and poor decisions. Another way it can show up that I've heard 
people talk about a lot in recent years is this thing that we call imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome happens when you feel that you are not worthy to be in a certain situation or a certain setting. Maybe you don't deserve to be there. Everyone else deserves to be there, but you don't. Maybe you feel you're the outsider. Everyone else is a part of the group. They're welcome and they're joined in, but you don't deserve to be there. You've got no right to ask people to do things. You've got no right to join in. Which can be a real problem if you're supposed to be the leader in that group. And what is the root of imposter syndrome? It is intimidation. It's because you feel intimidated by these people that are already there. The spirit of intimidation that's on a mission to render you ineffective and powerless in that situation where God has placed you. Because if you listen to the lies, if you pay attention to the voices of intimidation, what do you do? You end up giving away your authority to act in that group. Because you stop exercising your authority. That's how you give it away. And this happens in workplaces, in schools, in churches, in clubs. Now, when voices of objection and disagreement get raised up, if we listen to them, rather than using our authority to address them, We end up having no authority at all and the situation just gets worse. If you want to walk in authority, you have to use the authority that you've already been given and not give it away by giving in to intimidation and criticism. We should not fear people or the opinions of people. But the holy fear of God, taking his call and his command seriously, that's That's the right kind of fear to have. Proverbs 14 says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, and one may turn away from the snares of death. So if you ever find yourself in a situation where you're struggling against intimidation, that is coming against your God-given calling and authority in a situation... What you need is strong confidence. The scripture says it comes from fearing God more than fearing man. Now we have a promise from Jesus. We have a promise from Jesus. In Luke 10 he said, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, don't don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in the, in the heavens. We have authority in the spiritual realm to confront the actions and the power of the enemy. But having the authority does nothing unless we use the authority. And it's not just about having authority to put into use. We have to use the gifts that God has given us as well to be effective in that situation. Paul reminded Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, he said, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control. 
I think Timothy was in danger of allowing intimidation to prevent him from using the gifts that God has given him in the leadership of that church that he was in. Allowing himself to be intimidated to give up on his calling. But Jesus promised to us all is that he has given us, given us, past tense, already done, all the authority that we need. What we have to do is pick it up and use it. And use it for God's purposes. Yeah, the ultimate purpose, the reason why Jesus gave us his authority in the first place is to be his disciples. Yeah, not so that we can have a comfy life, not so that we can avoid work. In fact, quite the opposite. We're given this authority so that we can go out and be effective in the reason that God created us in the first place, our great purpose. Matthew 28, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The authority that cascades down to us from Jesus is the purpose of saving souls and seeing this world turn back into Eden. This is why intimidation is always spiritual in because it's opposed to Jesus' purposes for his church to make disciples, to save souls, snatching people from darkness into light and extending the borders of God's kingdom. Intimidation is opposition to godly authority. In other words, it is rebellion. So just giving in to intimidation causes us to yield our authority and become powerless Christians. And when we are foolish enough to try and use intimidation in order to come against God's servant. To oppose someone walking in their godly authority. It's no surprise that that root of rebellion causes havoc in our own lives. And in fact, I'm not just talking about church situations here because all your authority in every walk of life, not just spiritual authority, comes from God. Romans 13 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. All those that exist have been instituted by God. There is no authority except from God. So whatever authority you have at work, at school, in the family, in church, in clubs, in societies... It was given to you by God and it is your solemn responsibility to discharge that duty to the best of your ability. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would strengthen us through your love and your wisdom. Forgive us for for drawing back in times of difficulty in order to preserve our own comfort or security. Forgive us for resisting your authority in others, for our rebellious hearts or rebellious words. Lord Jesus, this day I choose to deny myself, to take up my cross, to follow you. I am your servant. I receive your grace that empowers so I might speak your word and perform your will with all boldness and love. 
In Jesus' name, I break the words of intimidation and control spoken over my life by myself or by others. And I break the grip of fear of man and intimidation off of my life. I submit myself to God and I resist the devil. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory and with great joy, to the only God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Go home, have a hot bath, a cup of hot chocolate to try and warm up. <laughs> we'll be back here next Sunday at 10.30. Don't forget, ladies who lead at 10 o'clock Tuesday morning online. And if you want to know more about Visions of Values, grab me or Lydia at the end. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen.